So I think the series we're continuing is digging deeper in Lent. So last time, um, last time I was here, we spoke about uh, fasting and prayer, and then last week, Abuna, what was the? Uh, when God feels absent in prayer. When God feels absent in prayer. Okay. Well, when, we feel, when we can't see God's presence, we realize God's presence in prayer. Okay. Cool. Um, today, the topic is relevant to fasting as well. Um, and the topic is called Lord bring me back that I may return okay Lord bring me back that I may return um, does anyone know where that's from it's a verse does anyone know where it's from no it's from the Bible yeah <laughs> um, in Arabic it's uh, for those who understand Arabic it would be tawebni fa'atub okay so if you translate it, you know, word for word, it's like, um, make me repent so that I may repent. Um, they didn't translate it like that in English because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So what they uh, translated it was, Lord, bring me back that I may return. Okay, it's from Jeremiah. Pope Shenouda, uh, the, the, the person that made this particular verse really famous was Pope Shenouda because he published a book called Tawebni Fa'atub. Um, but he's actually, he stole the words from Jeremiah. Okay. So it's actually in Jeremiah. I'm going to get you guys to open Jeremiah chapter 31. And it's just two verses. But I think it's nice to get acquainted with where this comes from. So Jeremiah 31 verse 18 and 19. So Jeremiah 31, 18 to 19 says, I have, sure, uh, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised, like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return, for you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning I repented, and after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. So in here there's a lot of... It's a very dense couple of uh, verses, okay? So I'm really focused on the concept of repentance. And so here you've got Jeremiah, he's prophesying. Yeah, Jeremiah was a prophet, so he's prophesying about the return of, uh, of Israel, Ephraim. You know, Ephraim is the son of Joseph, and um, he, he's prophesying about this, the, the return. Um, and from this, I'm going to extract three points, okay? I'm going to focus on these three points. The first point is repentance as a work of God. Okay? So the first thing I'm going to focus on, repentance as a work of God. And where we get that from is the actual title, Restore Me So That I May Return. And when you read that, you get the sense that God is doing something here. Yeah? Restore Me So That I May Return. So the first thing we're going to focus on is repentance as a work of God rather than focus only on as repentance as my work. Okay, we're going to explore that a little bit. The second one is repentance as man's remorse. Man as in human. Human's remorse. Okay, so in these verses you see there's a sense of remorse. So he says things like, <clears throat> You have chastised me and I was chastised. He says, After... And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated. OK, 
Okay, so the second bit we're going to discuss is repentance as man's remorse. And then the third we're going to talk about in repentance there is expectation. Okay, and we're going to explore these three things out of this verse. The first one is repentance as a work of God. When we talk about repentance, sometimes we get caught up in what, I, what, what we do. Okay, what should I do? How do I repent? What do I need to do? Um, how much effort do I need to put in? What should I do first? What should I do second? What should I do third? Like that there is some type of formula we have to follow and following this formula or recipe, I've got repentance and, and that's it. That's not bad in itself, but today what I want to focus on is the first bit, which is what is repentance? And repentance is, like indicated by that verse, is a return to God. Okay? It's a coming home. It's a reorienting ourselves towards God. So repentance, even as a word, its definition means to turn yourself and orient yourself towards God, to have a change of mind, to have a realization, but a, not only a realization as in like aha moment, it's more of a realization that creates a motivation for me to change. That's what repentance is. Now, if it's, so it's more than just my feeling or my shamefulness or my um, decision to make a moral change, because actually, as humans, without Christianity at all, take away the Christianity. Actually, every human is capable of learning lessons. Every human is capable of looking at its, uh, their day and thinking, oh, I did this wrong. Actually, that's not really moral. You know, it doesn't fit within my values and it's not really moral to do that. Tomorrow I'm going to change. Every human is capable of doing that, actually. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. And so then if, if we are Christian and repentance is a, a Christian act of aligning ourselves or moving ourselves towards God, then it has to be more than just me getting some moralistic realization and then making changes in my life. So this brings us to the point that actually what, what we, the fundamental thing about repentance is God is working in repentance. God is actually active in repentance. And without God doing his part, without God's grace acting in repentance, I can't repent. It's impossible. I won't know how. And the reason is that the only way that someone can turn from their current state of being, which is kind of away from God or facing away from God and turn towards God, is because they have understood God deeper than the moment just before. Okay, I'm going to say that again. The only way that I can make a change, the only way, the only way I can make a change is if I have understood something deeper than the moment just before the change. That's what creates human change. So the only way that I'm going to make a change in myself is if I understood something. And that realization allowed me to, motivated me to move towards God. Now, if repentance is about me moving towards God, then my realization, my understanding has to be about God himself. So the only way that I can repent truly is if I understand God deeper. 
And it's in this understanding, in this deep, deeper understanding of God, that we begin to move towards God, that we begin to desire to come back to God. Now, this deeper understanding of God is the work of God, because we cannot know God deeper without Him showing us. And I'll give you an example. You remember in the, in the gospel you had Jesus, he came to his disciples and they came to him first and they said, oh, there's a lot of talk about who you are and what you're doing and, and things like that. Some people are saying, you're, you know, this guy. Some people you are saying that you're this guy. And then he said, that's really nice, but I want to know who do you say that I am? And then you had Peter, you know, Peter's the guy that always kind of, you know, moves before he thinks and he just jumps out and he said, you are the son of God. What did Jesus say right after that? He said to him, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, Peter, but the spirit of God. Now, what Jesus was saying is here is that there is the only way, Peter, that you got to the secret, that you got to understand who I am deeper is because the Holy Spirit shed that light on you. And so here you have this idea that the only way that I can understand God more and deeper and fuller is if God allows me, if God pulls me, if God shows me, if God leads me, if He takes me there. And this is the first part of that verse. Restore me. And what He's actually saying is show me yourself. Allow me to see you clearer. Allow me to know you more. The things that are hidden from me, the things that I am unable to understand about you show me because in that revelation i will become closer to you and remember last time two weeks ago when i was here we we're talking about fasting and prayer we said fasting and prayer what does it do it allows me to know god more it gives me an experience of god and that's why repentance and fasting are always attached because in fasting and prayer i get to know god more and the more i get to know god I, am, I realize him, I know him that little bit more. And the more I know him, the more I repent, the more I seek him, the more I align myself to him, the more I call on him and say, I want you, I want to come to you. And so the work of God in repentance is critical and without it, it can't exist. There is nothing. All we're doing is making personal change in our life. And so when he says, restore me so that I may return, it's a prayer. It's a human prayer to say, I don't know. I don't know where you are, but I'm looking for you. It is that desire that allows me to repent. Think of Moses the Black. Moses the Black, or Moses the Strong, was a, a kind of a murderer. He was a pagan. He was, you know, he was a pretty bad dude. The story is pretty, pretty horrific. And then this this really horrific, barbaric kind of character that's living in sin and indulging himself in food and in all the luxuries of life, all of a sudden becomes the purest man that lives in the, in the, in the wilderness. I say, what happened? What was the mo moment that transforms this character? You know what the moment was? His continuous asking for where is God? That's actually what happened to Moses. If you look at the story, he keeps walking around saying, where is God? And he looks to the sun and says, are you God? Because if you're God, I need to know you more. Are you God? Where is God? And he is a thirsty 
kind of person looking to know God more. And in that desire to know God more, God shows him who he is. And then Moses sees that and then says, my life can't be the same anymore. Now, the moment that Moses goes from that barbaric to the monk is not the end of the story. That's only the beginning. Because he only knew God at that point a little bit. He only knew that there was a God, his one God, and he saved us and he loves us. That's all he knew. But that was enough to change him. But then Moses lived the rest of his life in continuous repentance. Why? Because he would go into his cell, he would sit down, he would fast, he would pray, he would ask, he would read, he would get to know God more and repent more. So by the time Moses ends up his first day in the monastery till his deathbed is a continuous realization and deeper understanding of God that creates this perpetual repentance. In the Shepherd of Hermes, which is like a patristic text, he talks about repentance as the, he calls it the great understanding. He calls it the great understanding. And what that is talking about is what I've just been saying is that it's repentance. The repentant person is the person you know is beginning to understand God more. He's beginning to have his horizons broadened a little bit. And even when you look at the text that we explained the, from, from Jeremiah, just before he says, restore me and I will return, he says, like an untrained bull. Like an untrained bull. You know, there's a domesticated bull and then there's the wild bull. He's saying, I don't know what I don't know and I feel like an untrained bull. I am going after any red. And <clears throat> the only way I can be trained is if you show me. We take the story of David. The story of David. So, you know, David, he made lots of mistakes. David's pretty, his character is kind of uh, smeared all, all across Samuel. And, but he made one real kind of mistake that I think he never forgot ever again. And that's, that's with Bathsheba and Uriah. You know that story? Um, so David, he kind of, you know, is king. And then he, his next door neighbor, or this lady called Bathsheba, is kind of really pretty. And he looks out and he says, oh, what a beautiful uh, woman. I want to marry her. And then they come and they tell, they tell him, it's a great idea, king. But this lady is already married. And not only is she married, she's married to one of your generals. And then he thinks about it, he goes, hmm, okay, so what we need to do is we need to kind of, uh, you know, we'll work, we'll work something out. So anyway, he keeps scheming and the end result was he takes Uriah, he commands that Uriah goes and fights in the front lines of the war. He was out fighting a war and he knows obviously what's going to happen. He's going to be the first dude to die. He dies and then he goes, he takes his wife and the rest is kind of history. Now, Nathan, who was a prophet, came to him knocking on the door and he said to him, Hey, David, I've got really an, an interesting story. There was this dude. He had everything. And then he looked at his neighbor and his neighbor only had one of these things. But he desired this one thing, so he went and took it anyway. 
what do you think we do? And then you see David, he gets angry. He said, because he's a judge, you know, he's a king. He makes just wise judgments. He said, immediately we have to get, we have to kill this guy and we have to bring justice back. And then Nathan says, you know what? That dude is you. Because you had wives and concubines and children. Uriah had Bathsheba, that's it. But you decided to take her. And then David, in that instance, he says, ah, I have sinned. Um, before he sinned, Nathan gave him a barrage of attacks. So if you go into 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll find that he goes, and God has promised that he will bring curse upon your family and the sword will never leave your family and there'll be death and there'll be destruction and there'll be and there'll be and there'll be. And then Nathan, and then David kind of looks and says, I have sinned. And then the next verse straight away says, and God has forgiven you. And so you kind of imagine, you put yourself into this context and this scenario and you kind of think, you know, it's a bit of a cartoon because what you're, what you're seeing is you got Nathan saying, there's going to be death and there's going to be this and there's going to be this and there's going to be this. And then David's realized, oh, how shameful and embarrassing this thing is that I did. And he says, I have sinned in front of God. And then Nathan goes, well, you're forgiven. And you can just imagine David continuing. And I'm really sorry. And I'm and then he said, wait a second, what did you say? And he says, you're forgiven. God has forgiven you and surely you will not die. And in that moment, you can imagine Psalm 51 being written. Yeah? You guys ever read Psalm 51? Everyone kind of points that this Psalm 51 is about this story. And David begins to write, Have mercy upon me, O God. Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You don't need sacrifices from me. All you need is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And what's actually happened is David, in that psalm, he's explaining his realization. At that moment, David forgot about his remorse for a second, but he remembered something even more. You know what he remembered? He remembered the beauty of God. He remembered the mercy of God. He remembered the, the, the forgiveness of God. He remembered the generosity of God. He remembered every situation in his life where God was merciful and loving. He remembered that God is righteous and good. He remembered that God is almighty. He remembered that it is only God who has the ability to forgive. And it was this realization that puts David into perpetual remorse. And he says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, that's what you need. And that's what I've got. It's this sense of brokenness and not being, you know, being always aware of who I am and how weak I am. But also at the same time being aware of how mighty, how righteous, how glorified you are. And it's that that creates David's repentance. It's that realization, not the fact that he made a mistake, but that he saw the beauty of God. And so, in, in order for us to think of repentance, we have to think first that it has to come from this realization and, and knowing a deeper knowledge of God. And it's like stepwise, yeah? It's like incremental. 
If I know God a little bit more, then it will lead me to repentance a little bit more. And you know, I'm an engineer, so I kind of think of things as little machines, but you know, I keep the image that keeps coming in my head is a little autonomous, you know, little robot vehicle that kind of knows where it's going, but it's GPS coordinates are all over the place. And so if you, if you would watch that type of machine, you would watch it. It knows it's kind of over there, but it's kind of correcting. Yeah, because it's GPS signal is not very good and it will kind of keep going in zigzags till it straightens out and hits its target. And that's what continuous repentance is. I kind of know I'm, I'm in that direction. I'm propelled in that way. But the more I know God is the more I begin to refine and get closer to God. Even look at the prodigal son. When does the prodigal son say, I need to get up and return? Was it when he was really uh, humiliated by feeding the pigs? It wasn't. It wasn't only until he remembered how beautiful his father's house was. Because he lived his whole life in his father's house, but he didn't understand. He didn't know the value of his father. But when he was sitting there, he ran out of food, he's covered in mud, he's... Everyone kind of thinks, oh, it's because he felt human pain. It was that kind of humiliation that it wasn't. It was that humiliation. Then he kind of said, wait a sec. Now I understand the beauty of my father's house. And at that moment, he says, I'm going to get up and go. It's in that realization that we repent. The second thing is repentance as a means of remorse. And so in Psalm 51, he says, you don't need a sacrifice, but you need a broken spirit and a contrite heart. A contrite heart can be defined as remorseful heart, as a remorseful heart. And so <clears throat> you find that repentance kind of puts us in this kind of face to face with remorse. But this remorse is not remorse that we ever experience on only a human level. This remorse is motivating. It's not depressing. This remorse propels us in the right direction, doesn't kind of overwhelm us with emotion. This remorse moves us towards joy. It doesn't limit me and keep me in this kind of, you know, anxious state. This remorse opens up my experience of God even more. And he says, even if you look at Jeremiah, he says, Restore me and I will return for you are my Lord. You are the Lord, um, my God. Surely after turning I have repented and after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Now, if you look at that, I bore the reproach of my youth, is what he's talking about here with his remorse. It's that he's come to realize that all God wants is that I need to kind of humble myself and say, that I understand who, who you are and I understand who I am. And in this contriteness, in this humility, 
in this understanding that it's not all about my strength and who I am and what I do, but it's, in un it's about who you are and what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And that is the contriteness that we offer in this repentance formula. It's this repentance as remorse, not as guilt and feeling of shame to the point of depression, but feeling remorse that I haven't really until now worked out who I am and who he is. And it's in that that kind of propels me and moves me and, and motivates me to run to God. And then the third thing I said I'm going to speak about was repentance is expectation. Repentance is expectation. There are lots of things we do that we do out of hope and there's lots of things we do out of faith and there are some things we do out of expectation. Do we know the difference between those three? So we've got hope, we've got faith, and we've got expectation. Does anyone know the difference between hope and faith? Hmm. Have a guess. What's hope and how is it different to faith? Does anyone have a crack? No? Okay, so we could say that hope is faith without the evidence. Yeah? Or you flip it upside down and you say faith is hope with evidence. So I could say, you know what? I hope that tomorrow is a better day. You know, I had a really tough day today. I hope that tomorrow is a better day. If I want to use the word faith in that sentence, I'll say, I've been given evidence that tomorrow, tomorrow will be a better day. That means I've, I've shown faith. Okay? And even St. Paul says that faith is hope. Uh, faith is the evidence of what we hope for. Okay? So hope is kind of the faith without the evidence. Faith is with evidence. Now, what is expectation? Uh, no, but what expectation is, is faith with a time limit. Okay, so if it's, that's even the English definition if you go and look at it. It's knowing that something will happen at a given time. So faith is knowing something will happen, but I don't know the time. Yeah? So I have faith that Christ is returning to take us. I have no expectation of when that will happen. But repentance is not a matter of faith, or what, what comes of repentance is not just a matter of faith, but it's a matter of expectation. We are taught to expect forgiveness following repentance, and not just believe that we will get forgiveness after repentance. Do you know what the difference is? given the definitions that means that if i repent right then and there i am forgiven so then i can flip that up upside down and say that we expect that if we repent we are forgiven there's there's no formula to that there's no exclusions Nothing was, there was no fine, fine print. 
There was nothing. It's whoever repents will be forgiven. So whoever desires to know God more and turns themselves to that direction, to really focus on knowing God more, knowing Him deeper, trying to understand Him more, and saying to God, God, restore me, because I was lost, but now I understand a little bit more. I want to come towards you. That person expects forgiveness. And so, if we summarize, we say that in repentance, the work of God in repentance is to allow me to know Him more. If I am seeking Him. Second is that our response to that is a sense of remorse. But a sense of remorse that is kind of knowing him and knowing me and then knowing where I where I kind of fit in this puzzle and then motivating me towards him. And third is knowing that if there is repentance, there is forgiveness. And that is a guaranteed because it's a promise of God. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions or additions? Something interesting, John, that you said is that repentance starts with realizing or going deeper with the good of God. And I think sometimes we think, I'll be good, then I'll come to God, as opposed to, I'll go to God, then I'll be good. He'll make me good. And there's a verse in the Psalms that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So not see first and then taste. And I think the big message comes out for me is to let go. I think it's a very hard concept for us because letting go means that I admit to myself that I'm not going to figure it out. So for example, when we say let go and go to God first, we say go pray, go liturgy. And then the next thing comes to mind is how. How's that going to help me? How is going to church going to help me? How is praying going to help me? I've tried it before, it doesn't work. So that means I'm still holding on. But like you said, if we go a little bit deeper with God, that's the trigger. As opposed to, in my mind, I figure it out and then I go. Yeah. And, and I would say that that's, this is the problem in us when we talk about repentance focusing on our work all the time. What we have to do. How we're going to get there. Um, we forget the other side, which is that all, I, all we need to do is kind of put ourselves in the places we know we're going to learn about Him more, understand Him more. Um, and then He kind of does the rest um, and even, you know, there was an interesting um, C.S. Lewis um, in his biography um, writes of the time where he prayed for the first time. I don't know, has anyone read the, uh, his biography? Surprised by joy? No. So he says, so C.S. Lewis was a Christian, then he fell out and he became an atheist and became a philosopher and a writer. And um, then he got together with a group of mates who were also writers um, and the discussions and uh, you know they had they used to have a lot of discussions and he used to start thinking and he had this desire in him about truth knowing the truth so he kept thinking and thinking and thinking and god he said that god kept cornering him he kept sending him this way and sending him that way and giving him things that will try and spring on him the, the idea that who is god and how does he know him more and then he writes um, he goes one day after 
a long bus ride. I kind of get to my dorm, like his room where in the college, and he sits down. And then he goes, that's it, I couldn't fight anymore. <laughs> and he goes, at that moment, I kind of, all, all I did was I just knelt down and I prayed for the first time. But I couldn't kind of fight him anymore. And he said something really nice. He said, and at that moment in that room, um, uh, in that college, was the most reluctant convert in all of England. And he said, you know, with the prodigal son, God kind of let him go until he came back. But with me, he kind of took me kicking and screaming. And to me, C.S. Lewis is a writer, yeah? He's like Narnia and stuff like that. But, so he writes really nice. But for me, the thing that I took away was that it was, it was in C.S. Lewis's kind of bara and negotiation and discovery and asking and searching for truth and wrestling with God that got him to the point where God changes him. And I think that's what Abuna is saying. Abuna is saying is be found in the places where God and His Holy, where Holy Spirit is there going to mold you and to change you and to push you around. We have to be found in those places. That is the best place to allow God to actually show us himself. It's the best place for us to repent. So a lot of us, we could sit back and say, you know what, this is not working. Uh, I've been hanging around, I don't really believe in God and um, things aren't working really good. You know, he must be gone, he's missing, he's not, uh, he's not there. He's... And um, that is the long journey towards knowing God. It's not, it's not the shortest distance. The shortest distance will be saying to give it a, to, you know, to try and find the places where we think and know that we can have those, you know, honest conversations with God. But the, con the conversations have to be honest. And when I say that, I mean, it's okay to feel that you don't believe in God or you don't know him or you don't know how to get to him or something's blocking you. But say it. Use those words. You know, in Jeremiah, he says, Restore me and I will be returned. And, you know, we can replace that with lots of things. You know what? I don't think I believe in you anymore. But I'm not going to give up yet. I want you to, you know, where are you? Show me. Or I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to repent. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. But have those honest conversations. And... And I think being found in the places that are most likely to, um, for God to show me himself is probably the best bet for us. And glory be to God forever. Amen.